Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back into a special edition of The Rattle Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Here in this episode, we are honored to be joined by the voice of your Arizona Diamondbacks since opening day of 1998. He's been here since the beginning. His name is Greg Schulte. Uh, Greg was basically my first mentor in the broadcasting industry. Uh, We met about 10 years ago now. It's hard to believe I was a Diamondbacks kid caster. I got the gig uh, by impersonating Greg Schulte's voice. He was an icon for me growing up. I didn't have cable television, so I would listen to all of the games with Greg Schulte on the radio. Uh, We are honored to be joined by one of my mentors today. Uh, Greg, thank you so much uh, for hopping on with us today. We really appreciate it. Glad to be with you, Jesse. Let's go ahead and jump into the bizarre situation that baseball is facing, and and really not just baseball, but obviously the state, the country, the entire globe right now with the coronavirus and everything that is is going on. Uh, Greg, I know yesterday you would have been in Denver, I believe, calling a Diamondbacks-Rockies game. Uh, Maybe a little bit nice to be able to spend spend Easter with the family. Was Was that nice for you? Yeah, although I would have enjoyed spending an after call in a ball game, but uh, yeah. <laughs> as you said, that's kind of the world we're in right now. So, uh, yeah, it was a little different. It's been different. It really has. Uh, we've already had 17 games postponed, and, uh, you know, the count goes on, and it's going to go on further, I'm sure, uh, with uh, no idea when this uh, baseball season will or uh, if it will start. Basically, what we know right now, or at least what I know right now, is that Major League Baseball has rolled out uh, a couple different proposals, at least proposals that have actually been linked to the media. Uh, there could be other other proposals that they're considering as well. I'm sure there are. Uh, but the two plans that I've heard most prominently, one would have baseball continuing uh, here in probably about a month or maybe two months moving into June, where basically all 30 MLB teams are sequestered right here in Arizona. There wouldn't be any fans at games, uh, but they would be able to use Chase Field along with all the spring training stadiums around the state, which are uh, very nicely located in close proximity here in the Phoenix metro area. That's one possibility. I've heard the other one that came out more recently, as I'm sure you've heard, Greg, is is the possibility of, of basically just continuing spring training, but calling them regular season games where you uh, continue the Cactus League, Grapefruit League format. Teams would have new divisions. Kind of the layout of the league would change dramatically, uh, but it would give Major League Baseball the ability to use uh, two indoor stadiums out in Florida, as well as all of the minor league facilities there as well. Uh, Greg, I'm curious from your standpoint, uh, does either of these seem more realistic than the other? And just more uh, from a broader perspective, what's your view on when exactly baseball can be played again? Well, that's a loaded question. I don't think anybody knows. Baseball doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. I you know the people in charge of uh, trying to you know, get rid of this pandemic globally, uh, they're not sure. Uh, so we play a waiting game right now. I don't know how they're going to figure it out, to be honest with you. They've got the, the greatest minds in the game of baseball trying to figure this out. 
how they would come back and play some semblance of a season. But uh, right now, it's just all a roll of the dice and, and trying to figure out, you know, when, where, if, how, and uh, uh, go from there. So I'm, I'm like you, and I'm like all baseball fans. I'm just kind of uh, taking it day by day to see what new proposal there might be on the table for tomorrow or or down the road uh, that we uh, might be able to filter in some way, somehow. But, you know, it, 2001, Jesse, was uh, fantastic. The game of baseball came back and got to uh, heal this country of uh, a wrong that had been done hmm. um, with the attack uh, both in New York and uh, also in Washington, D.C. And uh, we got some order of semblance back then. But this is completely different. This, as you said, is globally affecting everybody and uh you know it's a disease that's killing uh you know hundreds uh, upon thousands globally day by day so that's the main order of business right now and once they get uh, those numbers down and we can uh, you know get things uh, going again uh, at least a little bit uh, then i think baseball will even get a little bit more serious on uh, what they uh, what they can do and what can't do as uh, the season tries to unfold I'm curious from your standpoint, Greg, of those two plans, does either of them seem particularly more realistic than the other? Do, do they both seem far-fetched to you? What do you think about the ideas that, that you've heard thrown out there so far? Well, I understand about playing them here, but I think there'd be a, you know, you'd have a, a whole lot more people coming in here to the Valley now. And, uh, you know, does that cause us uh, more concern with, with more people coming in? They're talking about sequestering hotels. I don't know. Uh, I, I really have no answer for you which would sound better than the other, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it does sound more and more like we might be able or might be playing before empty stadiums, yeah. wherever that is, uh, the spring training facilities or uh, at Chase Field or even in uh, Tampa or in Miami. But uh, that seems like that might be what uh, what we get right now. So, uh, like I said, uh, they've got some bright minds going at this every day in New York, and I'm sure they're pulling out their hair. They're trying to get answers. We're all trying to get answers, but uh, – you know, until this thing starts to die some, and I hate using that word, um, but until it starts to calm down some and we can uh, get things, again, somewhat back to the norm, then I, I think uh, we just have to kind of wait and see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No one, I think no one really knows much of anything right now at this point, if we're, if we're all being honest yeah. with ourselves. Uh, Greg, I'm curious, you've been broadcasting Diamondbacks games for 22 years now. This would be your 23rd season, I believe, on the job. You're a veteran at this. My guess is that in those 22 seasons, you've probably never broadcasted a game with an empty crowd. What would that be like for you? (laughs) That would be different. You know, I broadcast high school baseball. I broadcast college baseball, uh, semi-pro, minor league baseball, professional baseball, but you always have some semblance of an audience. Yeah. And uh, I saw, I believe it was uh, some uh, video I saw from South Korea. They were playing before an empty stadium, and, uh, you know, I don't remember who the player was, but he hit the first home run as their league got underway, and it went into the bleachers in left field. There's nobody out there. (laughs) He's running around the bases, and they're following him, and you can't see anybody in the stand. It would be different. Uh, I, I don't know if they're thinking about maybe piping in some crowd noise. Uh, I, I don't know if they would allow that or not. It would sure be different. You'd hear everything. I guarantee you that. Yeah. From the outfielders yelling into the infielders, and uh, so it would be it would be strange. Would, they're probably going to hear us broadcast the ball games. Is what they're going to also hear. So hmm. that in itself would be uh, very very different. 
Greg, I want to jump into your story. I mentioned the 22 years that you've had here as a Diamondbacks broadcaster. Uh, your story in the Valley uh, stretches far uh, even earlier than that. I know you were uh, with KTAR for 14 years. Uh, you were with the Suns for 15 years working alongside Al McCoy. Uh, first as producer, then you moved into a role as his color commentator. Uh, you worked with the Arizona Cardinals as well as a pre- and post-game show host. Where... At what point in Greg Schulte's life did he first discover he wanted to be a broadcaster? I was eight years old. And uh, through my mother, uh, we would take trips. Down. I was an only child, and uh, we were big baseball fans. My dad was a big Cardinal fan. And uh, we grew up in northwest uh, Illinois. And in Illinois, it seems like you're either Cardinal fans or Cup fans, <laughs> and then there's the White Sox fans. But there are a lot of Cardinal fans Illinois is a different state. Everything out of Chicago is called downstate. Even if you're west of Chicago, it's called downstate. But uh, uh, fans, obviously, uh, they run the gamut there in Illinois, on into Iowa, Indiana, even into Wisconsin. And Cardinals fans, for a lot of years, the Cardinals were the furthest team west. And they had a big following in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, They had the largest radio network in all of baseball, I think it was 150, 250 stations uh, throughout the course of the country. I started following uh, Cardinals baseball as a youngster, would listen to Harry Carey and Jack Buck call a Hall of Fame, a couple of Hall of Famers that would call Cardinal games Mm. on a little Philco radio I had. We'd go down to the Sportsman's Park at that time, which was the original uh, ballpark in St. Louis, and then they moved to the downtown area, Bush Stadium 1, now Bush Stadium 3, so I've seen three different stadiums, but I would listen religiously every night during the summer, especially when I was out of school, to uh, Harry Carey and Jack Buckcart Cardinal, called Cardinal Baseball. Couldn't get enough of it. And I discovered very early on that uh, if I couldn't play the game on the major league level, I wanted to be Harry Carey or Jack Buck broadcasting Cardinal Baseball. So I go back, that would have been uh, eight years, that would have been uh, 1959 or so, that, uh, that 1958, 1959, that uh, mm. I decided I wanted to be a, you know, a major league baseball broadcaster. Your journey to, to get here, obviously, as it is for, for any broadcaster, is, is long and difficult, probably took some unexpected turns at different points in your career. Uh, I know you had to go through other sports in order to get to baseball, and that seems to mm-hmm. be kind of the reality that pretty much every broadcaster faces, is your, your dream job is not going to be where you start, and you, and you may start very somewhere completely different uh, than where you ultimately wind up. Uh, were there moments throughout uh, your career as you were working toward the job that you have now, uh, where you kind of wondered if, if that wasn't going to happen or if you'd wind up somewhere else, or, or or was it easy to to maybe lose heart in some of those moments? No, you know, when I came out here, I, back to the Quad Cities, uh, I originally was uh, hired um, back in the early 70s when I was going to college to uh, join a radio TV combo. And I was on the air on the I was on the radio side, and we would broadcast high school football and basketball, uh, a little bit of football. And uh, eventually, uh, I ended up doing University of Iowa games back when Lute Olson was coaching at Iowa before he made the trek out to uh, Arizona and became the coach of the Arizona Wildcats. So I had a, a season of that. I moved out to Phoenix, my wife and I, Nancy, in 1979, and uh, I was hired by KTAR. Went to work with Tom Dillon. Uh, broadcasting uh, Sun Devil uh, Sports 
and uh, we did basketball. And back then, we did all the baseball games, Jesse, which uh, wow. was before the NCAA put a restriction. I think we were, uh, we were broadcasting like 70-some baseball games a year. It's almost a half season of Major League Baseball. Mm. And they would go around the country. They'd play at Texas. They'd go down to Miami. They had some home-and-homes with uh, the Hurricanes and the Longhorns. Plus, they'd play uh, you know, a full schedule in the uh, then six-pack. So we're getting a lot of baseball experience. Uh, football is really the name of the game in uh, Phoenix, along with Suns basketball. When I came into town, you had the Suns, a professional sport. You had ASU with their football, baseball, and basketball. Then you also had the Phoenix Giants at that time. Hmm. And I didn't hook up with the Phoenix Giants at that time, but I was broadcasting the other sports. I uh, became very good friends with Al McCoy, uh, the longtime voice, the Hall of Famer of the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, I ended up, as you mentioned earlier, when we came on the air, I was a producer for a number of years, producer-engineer. Uh, I ended up uh, doing some fill-in play-by-play when I was missing, which was very, very seldom. <laughs> I think I only called about four or five games that uh, Al happened to miss, but uh, became the color analyst. And then uh, uh, the first year the Cardinals came in in 88, uh, I broadcast four years of Cardinal football. And then uh, it eventually led to uh, being hired by the Diamondbacks and Jerry Colangelo in 1995, and uh, moved on uh, to uh, become the voice of the Diamondbacks in 1998. But, uh, you know, I had had a pretty good career going. I was excited about it. I was doing play-by-play. I was doing color. I was involved with the professional teams, the college teams, and uh, I would have been satisfied if uh, Major League Baseball opportunity would not have come around. But, uh, you know, uh, I got a little bit lucky and had a little (laughs) bit fortunate to do some uh, of the right people, and uh, here I am now, as you said, about ready, hopefully, you're in 2020 to enter my enter my 23rd season as a voice of the D-backs. From your standpoint, Greg, obviously baseball is, has seemed to be kind of your first love with the Cardinals and everything there. What's so special about the game of baseball? Well, uh, nobody can manage the history of baseball for number one. Uh, and I studied the game, you know, back into the 50s. I lived a lot of the game. Uh, even as a fan back then, you know, 50s baseball, you had the Aarons, you had the Mays, uh, you had uh, Koufax, uh, Gibson, Mm. you moved into the 60s, you moved into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, into the 2000s. So I've lived a lot of the game of baseball, and their history goes well back beyond that, of course, to the turn of the century and even before, back into the 1800s. But along came a a guy back in... uh, you know, the late teens and the early 20s by the name of Babe Ruth, who kind of revolutionized the game. And uh, ingredient as far as is concerned, he's the one person that I think changed the sport and changed sports more than anybody in the history of uh, sports being played. He became the biggest name. He became bigger than the sport almost. Mm. And baseball's got a lot of history, uh, a lot of a great uh, – a great history, in fact, that uh, I'm able to delve back into and uh, kind of talk about during the broadcast a lot of times. I think one of the few uh, or one of the many unique things about broadcasting is just that there's really no one way to do it, especially when it comes to play-by-play. Every broadcaster has their own unique style. Uh, I'm curious for you, Greg, what does it look like to prepare for a broadcast on any given day? Well, it's changed a lot because now we have uh, Wi-Fi access and, of course, the Internet. Uh, when I right. first came in, you know, you were relying on notes. I was spending much more time in the clubhouse and in the dugouts 
getting information, writing a lot of notes. And now I can have pretty much everything uh, on my computer or even jot it down in a notebook, which I still use uh, before I even get to the ballpark. Hmm. So then it's just kind of filling in the blanks. Maybe I need to talk to a player or a coach or, uh, you know, Tori Lovello, now the manager of the Diamondbacks. But it's changed a lot, Jesse. Uh, from when I uh, when I first started doing the games in 1998, we get about four or five pages of game notes. And, uh, you, you know, you would, you would go down, uh, talk to many players, many coaches, usually the managers of both ball clubs, some of the players on the uh, visiting team, and, and spend a lot more time down there. But, uh, you know, players are a little bit different now. They, they want more of their uh, own time. And base, that's where baseball is also different. You know, you play 162 games, you're playing basically every day. Mm-hmm. Football, you play once a week. Basketball and hockey, you're playing three or four times a week. Baseball, you're playing a lot of times, seven times a week. Yeah. Uh, you know, without an off day. A lot of times you'll go a couple of weeks without an off day. So, You've constantly got a reporter or reporters at your cubicle there, where you're, uh, you know, you're trying to get showered and get out of uh, get out get out of the ballpark and head on home. So uh, it's changed a lot, but uh, I would say the internet has helped everybody, and you can look up anything these days too. You know, with Baseball Reference and Baseball Almanac and mm. all the different websites, you got those. Uh, handy and uh, at your fingertips so you can scroll right to those during the course of a ball game to help you out what's your favorite road city to visit oh boy and i still enjoy going to st louis although st louis has changed a lot uh, over the years but i love their new ballpark chicago is great you know uh, with wrigley field and uh, spent a lot of time in Illinois. I spent a lot of time going to ball games at Wrigley Field and Comiskey Park when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, same way with Milwaukee. I lived briefly in Milwaukee out of uh, out of high school. I went to a broadcast school in Milwaukee, but uh, we had a little county stadium there. And uh, you know, it's not a. It's kind of a, a smaller, big city. Pittsburgh. Uh, I enjoy their ballpark immensely. I, I think it's one of the. It's probably my favorite ballpark. Uh, to go to, not counting Chase Field, mm. but just uh, the view you have. The only problem with Pittsburgh, it's so high. But Chicago, you know, I like going to New York for a few days. I enjoy going to Boston. Uh, I don't even mind going to Miami, to be honest with you. I, I enjoy going to uh, their new ballpark now. It's it's kind of fun. Every every city is uh, kind of unique in its own way, and I enjoy them all. I will say this, though, Jesse, I think the National League West has got the best travel and the best cities. You go to Los Angeles, you go to San Francisco, San Diego, Colorado and Phoenix, and you really can't beat to visiting those cities at any time of the baseball season. My last question, Greg, you mentioned it just briefly earlier. Uh, at one point, your goal was to potentially play uh, the game of baseball yourself. <laughs> uh, when eventually you decided maybe that wasn't realistic, you went to the broadcasting side, as, as many of us do, including myself. But I would love to hear, and I think our audience would love to hear, what was Greg Schulte as a baseball player? What was that like? How far were you able to go? Well, I played uh, through high school and, uh, you know, played Little League. And uh, I remember I was seven years old and they had a Little League, uh, which was minor leagues. You played seven to ten. And then you got to the major leagues, which was 10 to 12. Then you went into Babe Ruth, and I think it was Stan Musial. But at seven years old, uh, but I was called up to the major leagues. So I was playing with you know, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds as a seven-year-old. Kind of got picked on a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I, I believe I went 0 for 8 that year. And then the next year, as an eight-year-old, I was up in what we called the, the, you know, the major leagues. You had, minor, you had the uh, little league, and then you had the major leagues. 
So I was in that next age bracket at a very young age, playing with kids older than me. And uh, uh, I held my own. I had one game, uh, in fact, when I, I think it was 10, 10 or 11, where I had a couple home runs, a grand slam and a three-run homer. Wow. Played first base, played third base, did a little catching, did a little pitching. But, uh, you know, it, it's. It, I think it's what makes us all appreciate the major league athlete. There are only so many jobs available, and you have to be really good. Mm. One of the elite players in all of the country to get to the major leagues. And once you get to the major leagues, it's hard to stick. So uh, when you see a Mike Trout play or, you know, I'm just using him as an example on the major league level, how good this guy is, he's a really talented athlete to be able to do what he can do. Greg, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Jesse, anytime you want. Uh, I'll be uh, be more than happy to stop in and uh, shout and uh, say hi to you.